Welcome to the redefinition of work. Let's face it, our school, our education system, and our work systems were built off of the Industrial Revolution. And back then, people had to be trained in a work environment to work. Now, we have to teach our workers how to think. What everybody who was listening to our podcast knew, and all of the book writers and all the CEOs that came on knew, is that ain't no one ready for this. What's up, humans? This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rehubchek. Big thank you for checking out the show. That was my friend, Keith Campania. Sure, he's the chief sales officer of the ROI shop. He was globally ranked as a top 50 thought leader podcast for 2021. He's the founder of LifeWork Integration, and he's also a card-carrying member of Team Human. Today, we get into the future of work and how the organizations that are transforming themselves aren't just focusing on the digital side of things, they're focusing on the personal transformations within. This material also represents some phenomenal insight into how to have discovery conversations with human beings who also work in organizations that are changing rapidly around us or, you know, dying a slow and painful death on the vine, depending on, you know, where you sit. I started this podcast to ask the tough questions about how revenue is created, the questions no one else seemed to be asking, and to better understand the uncomfortable conversations that followed. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll bring you a revenue human shaking up the business of sales in a big way, regardless of title. Each episode turns our guest wisdom into practical advice that you can use to better understand the topic, the nature of uncomfortable conversations, and the critical thinking skills required to make an impact in sales. If you like what you're hearing, do tell a friend about the show. I take that as a as the highest compliment. And with that, enjoy. <sighs> Oh my gosh, Keith Campania. Is it, do I say, I'm like, I was like kicking myself getting ready for this. I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, I, I think I know how to pronounce his name. But well, first of all, Keith, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm so excited to, to finally like have this conversation together. And did I pronounce your name right? Um, no, you didn't. Funny thing is, is pronounce my name right. I learned recently that my parents went on the American version. So Compagna is the way I refer to it, but rumor has it it's Compagna or Compagna. Really? And I've got plenty of international colleagues that call me out on it all the time. So welcome. It's a distinguished list of people who say my name wrong. Yeah. I had to make my peace with like, never like there's just no one is ever going to get it right in second grade. So, you know, it's just not something I know that some people, it's like a thing, but you know, whatever should happen. Okay. So I normally start this, the, these conversations with saying or asking someone if they've listened to any episodes, like, do they, do you know what you've gotten yourself involved in? But Keith, like you definitely know. You, you definitely know what you've gotten yourself involved in and you're still here, you know, so that says something. So, yay, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm in. 
All right. So let's get the business out of the way. Um, the target audience is the experienced tech seller. Theme of the show, uncomfortable conversations in sales. Um, there is only one rule, and that is that there are no rules <laughs> other than we keep it very real around here. Um, this is a judgment-free zone, a mistake-friendly zone, a tangent-friendly zone, and generally, I reserve the last 10 minutes for uh, my, like my, my two final questions. One's a question, one's a piece of advice. Depending on someone's comfort level, I will like sometimes give people a heads up on what that is, but you're not getting any fucking heads up, Keith. Like you're, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> Expert level, let's do it. <laughs> and we're, we're like, I'm definitely holding those cards close to the chest. Okay, so I've made a list of things that we could possibly discuss. And of which um, I'm going to toss that list back to you to choose where you'd like us to begin, including something that is not even on my list. And normally I, I spend some time like going, like just peeking at people's like recent activity on LinkedIn or, or whatever, but I, you know, just full disclosure and again, keeping it real, I didn't do any of that shit for you. So like, I'm just pulling from <laughs> um, our shit. Okay. But anyway, so business acumen, right? The importance of business acumen as it relates to uh, like one of the core competencies for a field rep or a seller, obviously ROI. Um, and calculating value, so any var- any variation of, of value and how to quantify it. Patience. I know you and I have spoken recently about the importance of injecting more patience into our lives at this moment in time. I know, listeners, that that was the ended up being the intention that I set for the year. Right, just being more patient. And I was floored last week when I was catching up with Keith after his trip to Costa Rica. And he was also speaking about about patience. So that that is, I think, something that would be very interesting, actually, by way of conversation. Um, 420 friendly, obviously. So the shifting of of laws and the way that things adjust and change and how the stigmas also evolve with them. And so what that was like before, during and after. And so I know that you and I are both 420 fans or support the cause. And so we can certainly talk about that from a macro level. And yeah, I know that you've got, I mean, we can add in the, any of the new stuff that you're working on too, so we can talk about that. But I'm going to pause it there. Like, is there anything that should be on the list that that you think that I didn't put on the list? And then, if not, like, where do you want to begin? So I, I love I love the patient thing, and I, I'll I'll always speak about business acumen as it relates to you know sales processes and, and what buyers are seeking out there. You know. Um, I think for your audience and, and what I understand about what drives you and motivates you, I think that uh, maybe the topic that we could start with is the fact that we shouldn't be separating patients from business acumen anymore. Uh, I think that there's a truth to the idea that everybody's working in their home and everyone's home is now part of their work. So this idea of understanding the right approach so you could be efficient and, and speak more on your, your market's terminology versus your product 
uh, has everything to do with being patient and being aware of how things are moving uh, along with either yourself or your team or your family or your organization. Well said, sir. Like listeners, do you see why I was excited about getting Keith on here? That was pretty fucking baller, like combining the business acumen and the patience piece of it, which is smart. I chuckled about like knowing how you know what motivates me. And like, like so music obviously is, is on that list, as you know. And um, everyone just, you know, Keith threw like a bang up um what was it, Keith? The, 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 the first annual Keith Fest <laughs> took place during COVID. Uh, we had three bands, two, brew, two breweries, and a food truck that sold every piece of barbecue and mac and cheese it could. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was so good. It was, it was unofficially the largest gathering in uh, Pennsylvania last October. So this was the first time everyone that Keith and I have like met in, in person. Right. And so he's absolutely right. Like music that, that certainly drives me too. So, okay. So Keith, let's talk about the cape, the patients and the business acumen. So like, just to bring it back a step, how did you arrive? Like, again, I, I meant when I said when, that I was floored when you said that you had been thinking about patients as well. And if you don't yeah. mind, like where, how did you arrive at that one? Right. Well, okay. So here goes, uh, I guess it's not a tangent. It's the main thing, but down the rabbit hole we go. So, you know, the ROI shop is, is the software company and I love what we're doing and we're making really good progress with clients. They're closing more deals, right? But my passion project for the last couple of years has been something I call life work integration. Amy, you know this, but for the, for the listeners and thank you for your time, listener. Uh, I spent most of my career selling human resource technology in big companies, in small companies, and more recently than not, I've spent the several years inside of the recruitment world, inside of talent acquisition, inside of technology, inside of HR, and I was put on the stage at the last employer I had before, the, before I got to the ROI shop. I went to conferences, and what I saw was this was two main elements. One, the entire marketplace as it relates to talent is shifted. The baby boomers have officially left and they left like in every other phase of their journey, they left a huge hole where they were. I often refer to the baby boomer generation as like a 16 pound baby delivered. Like nothing is ever the same after it goes. And with that, the talent marketplace dried up. And so I know firsthand that the ability for organizations to grow in the manner in which they've been projecting has been stifled because they don't have enough people to do it. And that's where, you know, I see that human beings have a opportunity. Any worker has an opportunity to really reset their career path because the value of an employee is skyrocketing. And there are way more employers out there that need employees. So now you, the employee, have value and power you might not realize. Then you throw in the other side of the equation, um, which is what? Where was I going with that? Um, Work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Work-life balance is this notion that everybody hears about, but ultimately is an outdated process. And that's why I call it life-work integration. For me, being in software, I know that integration is the free-flowing exchange of energy and ideas between at least two systems, right? And so 
putting life in front of work, in other words, figuring out what you as an individual want so you can move forward in a direction that you actually prefer is a challenge, but it's a necessary thing because if we look at the way people are now, most employees are disengaged. Most employees are unproductive. Most employees are unhappy. They have mental stress. And Amy, all of this was before COVID. Yeah. And, and then COVID came. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's work got literally forced into their, there was like a forced upgrade where everyone's lives got thrown into their work. So all of that is said because just like a good music piece all of the instruments in the band or in the orchestra have to be finely tuned. They have to be stressed the right way. If it's out of stress, it simply doesn't work, which is my way of saying that stress is a good thing, but everybody, most people suffer from having too much stress. And if you have too much stress, you simply can't be creative. And if you can't be creative, how can you design a career path that would reward you the whole way through? And so it's a big thing having to do with, understanding that in sales you can create a future like you never imagined because you simply have to recognize that if you put in the work to understand what you want and the the product or the market you want to serve you have unlimited potential and if you work for a company that's doing it for you now you're scaling your potential for individual growth and accomplishment Okay. So I couldn't write fast enough while you were talking there. So just to bring it back full circle to patients, um, listeners. No, it wasn't. It was perfect. Actually, it was absolutely perfect. Um, One of the things that impedes productivity, performance, right? And drive stress is this over-reliance on an outcome. And in sales, that outcome is the deal, right? And hitting your quarter, hitting your number in some way, shape, or form. And so, and I, I think we can even extend that a little bit broader, right? Outside of sales, this is a very uh, a common theme in Western societies, right? This definition of success, when I get married, when I have a child, when, when, when I get this new job, when I buy a house, then I'll be happy. This is not factually accurate, right? And so, the science is starting to prove that. And so, the ability to disassociate from those outcomes and the race to get at those outcomes is actually linked to our ability to de-stress. Now, that said, um, for anybody that's interested in, in learning more about the baby boomers impact on everything, there was a book that I read many years ago and it, it, the analogy, Keith, it was the pig and the python. And it talks, so imagine yeah. a python, right? And yep. so the pig yep. just moving through the python. Um, and so, again, it changes everything behind it. And so I'm just going to drop that there. I loved what you said about life-work integration and and almost as a, a counterpoint to balance. And, you know, the, the reality is that there is no such thing as balance, right? Life, everything, energy, travels and frequencies and waves. And so aspiring to have you know, a precision balance at all times. It's just not the way that it is. And so, again, um, looking for that kind of outcome uh, is, (laughs) you're going to be looking for a long time and probably pretty stressed while you're doing it. And I love what you said about also putting in the work. I, I don't think that there's a scenario where a company can do it for you. I think that you know, some companies make it easier, right? So we're using the analogy of leading a horse to water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so sometimes that that 
as as the horse, right? As we're trotting along to whatever watering hole we're we're visiting that particular day. Sometimes it's a longer walk, but the work, right, to understand our markets, to understand our customers, to understand our industry, to understand our product. Um, generally falls and then to get the fuck after it and do period the period work that's always going to fall on the individual but I like I want to push back on one thing that you said Keith other than all those things that I absolutely agreed with um, it's this idea that talent is a scarcity thing and I know that you don't agree with this but I just want to I, I want to play with this a little bit I think that and this listeners we cover in the Corey Cossack episode who is the CEO of Aspireship just the the hiring hand hamster wheel. And this idea that a human being has to check all these boxes, right, Mm -hmm. in order for us to consider them, you know, a good fit for whatever particular role. And that's fucking nonsense. That's nonsense. And so the, the hiring system, including recruiters, including HR, including the tech, right, and the ATS, the applicant tracking systems, um, they are and the hiring managers, right, all looking for lookalikes. And that's, mm, they created their own problem there, number one. And number two, the other thing from a systematic root cause problem perspective is that talent is, it's developable, right? It's a skill to be able to learn. And with all, I know developable is probably not a word, but you know, I just, not only did I say it, but I said it twice. So there's there. (laughs) It is now. (laughs) There you go, friends. That's how we roll around here. When you start your own damn show, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Whatever word you want. Um, But anyway, it's this idea that we're not, we're, we're not looking at the human beings on our team and understanding that we can empower them and we can teach them and we can develop them not just into being better revenue producers but better human beings and able to handle the stress of the the job in far 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 stronger ways and so and now again the science is is really starting to prove that when we look at some of the more modern developments around neuroplasticity and neural pathways and how quickly that they can be created and sustained and developed and so this talent scarcity right whether it was the baby boomers whether it was the hamster hiring wheel whether it's just the system that just continued as is because this is you know what we've always done That is all nonsense. And I'm with you on how COVID, it took the cracks, right, in our workplace that had taken decades to build, right? Decisions after decisions after decisions. And literally those cracks split apart at the seams to the point where they're so fucking obvious, like, and we can all see them and we can all point at them and we can all say, look at that big ass crack over there. There's no more denying that the crack exists. And I'm excited about this period of time. Um, and with that, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stop talking and toss it back to you, sir. And like, how do you see that as connecting back to this life work integration and, yeah. and balance and patience that you yeah. That you, that we are speaking of. So, you know, I life work integration is literally my consulting company, right? And um, I got there while I was co-hosting a HR-based podcast called Geek Skeezers and Googleization with my buddy Ira Wolf. Okay. At one point, we had ten thousand monthly listeners, Amy. 
Uh, I didn't a month, know this. Right? Like, yeah, there usually you get monthly listeners every month, right? <laughs> so we were talking about the future of work. Okay. So what year was this? Can you timestamp this for us? I was um, started, uh, it was two years ago ending. Uh, I ended it in October of 2020 because the ROI shop is blowing up. Thank you, everybody. who's a part of that. Uh, but I did it for the two years prior to that. So 2018, 2019, COVID, and then October COVID, I, I stopped. Um, and and we, were, we were talking about the future of work. So when I do keynote speeches and I, and I consult, we were, I, I always bring up the idea of welcome to the redefinition of work. Let's face it, our school, our education system and our work systems were built off of the industrial revolution. And back then people had to be trained in a work environment to work. Now we have to teach our workers how to think. We are a thinking society now. We are thinking uh, market now. And certainly there's other elements. Also known the as the knowledge economy. Sure. Right. And, the, and so, and so with that being said, what everybody who was listening to our podcast knew and all of the book writers and all the CEOs that came on knew is that ain't no one ready for this. Mm-hmm. No, but you look at HR and it's not a knock on HR. I know HR probably as good as anybody might. With that being said, they were the stepchild of the family. They were personnel. Make sure we don't get into any kind of trouble. And all the time, HR saying, we need to take care of our employees. And nobody did. And then COVID came. And that accelerated, like you said, the cracks became much, much bigger. And, and part of life work integration, fortunately for me, I've been invited to become an associate partner, not just because of life work integration, but like, you know, the ROI shop plays mm-hmm. a role with this. With Which, global- by the way, we talk about, I'm, I do remember I do the intro, so that'll have, be, have been very covered in the intro. Continue. Yeah, great. You're golden. Um, you know, a, a, a global consulting company a firm called Integral Performance has invited me to be part of their group. And what Integral Performance does is they, look, they work with organizations that are looking to transform. And as you can tell, Uh, based off of what you know out there, business is very good right now, right? Not just change, but how do you transform? And and these are individuals that, you know, uh, one of the co-founders is a former CEO and chairman of the board of Apple. He hired Gil Emilio. He hired Steve Jobs and fired him and then fixed Apple and then rehired Steve Jobs, right? Like the other guy is uh, someone who's a chief information officer for one of the largest aeronautical design and electronic device manufacturers in the world. We've got the managing director for the Neuro Linguistic Institute of EMEA. Like she's been there for, I think, 15, 17 years. These are global Jedis. And you know what they're talking about when they go into a company who's paying them $7 million to consult them? Mindset. Yeah. Okay. So innovation comes after mindset and it's working everywhere. I, you know, for those that are starting and I still think that that number is pretty, not as it's low, but I I don't, I don't mean that as a dig. I, I would prefer that that way because it makes those that are doing the work to change. Like it's, 
everybody else is that much easier to beat. Yes, listeners, the organization that Keith is referring to is pretty fucking baller. And the link will be in the show notes um, to dig into it more. But Keith, like I want to go back to this idea of mindset and the difference between the mindset of an individual versus the mindset of a company, of a corporation. And I'm reminded of a book that I read earlier this year called Assholes, a Theory. And it was written by uh, like- a theory, right? It's written by an economist. <laughs> and somebody, one of my friends got it for me and like he had had it and was like, you should read this. And I was like, I just saw the cover and I was like, dude, I like, I know enough about assholes. Like, I don't need to fucking read about them too, really. <laughs> and then it was, then he like actually bought it for me and he was like, no, seriously, you would die. Like, you'll love it. And, and so it's this idea of asshole capitalism was a whole chapter. And this, I think about the difference between short-term gains and, and long-term gains and patience and as it relates to startups and even selling, right? Everybody's in a big fucking rush to get through the sales process and, and hurry up and close the deal that one, we're skipping over the most important part of the sales motion and also like arguably the selling part, which is the discovery period. And but those directives are coming down from on high. They're coming, whether it's the VCs or whether it's the shareholders, right? So I'm an equal opportunity, like, you know, you know, team human flag planter, and I can talk shit on either side, <laughs> New York City or Silicon Valley, baby, like, right, you right, know, right. whatever. But the idea is that the way that our companies have been not patient, right? And looking right. for those quick returns has been it, like I, I almost feel like we're giving we're giving the company too much of a pass by pointing at the industrial revolution and saying like, oh, you know, the reason that we're all being treated like cogs or line items on a spreadsheet, which big fucking question mark on whether some of these sales bosses are even handling their PL and like can understand the difference between you know, cost cutting and efficiency gains driven by innovation and, and or the difference between, you know, profits and revenue. So big question mark there. However, the point is that if we're looking at turning the ship around, mm-hmm. there's got to be some kind of acknowledgement on what the actual fucking problem yeah. is. Yeah. And what the problem has right. been. Right. And the reason, at least from where I'm sitting, we have not been treating employees like human beings and look at, look at the downstream effects um, on like economic participation, right? Like the. Mm. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me grab this one here. Let's go okay. back to your metaphor about turning the ship around. Okay. Here's the news that everybody needs to understand. The ship hit bottom. It bottomed out. This ship can't turn around anymore. There aren't the old model simply doesn't apply. Work-life balance doesn't apply. Life-work integration is a better idea. It's worth learning about, right? Here's the challenge. Consult the, at, consult the Oracle, friends. Consult the Oracle. Well, but the truth of the matter, look, yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to make it pretty realistic here for the okay. business listeners, right? Okay. You say patience. And not a single person who's in finance, who's trying to raise money for some sort of investor gives a crap about patients, and more importantly, they don't care how you feel about it. Historically speaking, the rat race, as we all could talk to it, has everything to do with making more money faster 
And that's what the whole private equity world is about. It's about, can we do two things to maximize our, our, our capital? One, financial efficiencies. So a private equity group comes in, they look at what a company does, they find the gaps, they recognize but before they bought the company where the improvements could be made on a financial efficiency level. Phase two, operational efficiencies. What can we do to scale our already existing portfolio of companies as much as help this existing new company that is now in our portfolio? And that's pretty much where the buck stopped up until about five years ago. Well, it still actually hasn't stopped, but what's happening now is, and this is, this is real time stuff. This is real world stuff. The SEC and the um, ISO, I forget the name of the organization right now that does it, but like the, all the ISO standards, they've essentially, SEC has reformatted financial reporting. See, the real fundamental element that's changed the game is the human capital not the financial capital. Up until uh, this year, on a financial report for any company looking to go public or develop some sort of a financial valuation, they literally would list the human capital, the human resource, the people part of their company as risk, undefinable risk. Because financially speaking, that's what it looks like. So all these private equity groups would come in and they would buy financial efficiencies and operational efficiencies and eight out of 10 financial uh, projects inside of the PE world fall short of expectations or fail completely. Why? Because no one's focusing on the human capital. My good friend, Dave Bookbinder, literally, he's a financial valuator. The dude's a, an Excel spreadsheet like on with legs. He wrote a book, The New, HR, the New ROI, The Return on Individual. He saw from a financial valuation side, the big gap. Enter the baby boomers leaving, enter COVID, where now the, the, like for every salesperson that's out there, there's got to be four or five open sales positions, if not more. Right? You know what, Keith, like I'm going to push back a little bit on this because I think of like authors like John Maxwell, who was, who's been writing and talking and, you know, preaching about leadership and the human being's for at least 20 years, right? I remember stealing, my my dad is a sales leader, as you know, and so he used to be, Maxwell had this like book CD a month, <laughs> like whatever, and I would grab these. I would listen to more of them like before, like my dad. And so, but anyway, the, all this is well and good in that these cracks, right? The COVID gifts, as my friend Matt Gaston says, um, have brought a lot of awareness on what goes on behind the curtain mm-hmm. at like the leadership and executive level. And again, I'm I, I'm talking about large and small companies alike and everything in between, because shareholders want those fast returns too. Even though, right, the innovation attempts inside corporations, uh, their failure rate is like something crazy, like 97%. However, however, in order for this new next normal, right, whatever kind of stupid cliche phrase we want to put on this period of time, um, I'll leave others to that one. But what there is a there is a massive skill gap on how to grow human beings. 
I mean, it, it, even like when I think of learning, right? You know this about the ADHD. I had to learn how to teach myself like a long time ago. And so, but I also learned, like understood while I was unraveling how my brain worked and how it was a little bit different than like the mainstream is that we've all got different learning styles. Like we all have different love languages, right? Some people like audio, some people like reading, some people like short form, some people like long form. Then you've got um, like some shifts in modern learning styles. And, and I think of like micro learning opportunities, right? If I've got a flat tire and I don't have, you know, trip, <laughs> AAA because I don't want to acknowledge that I'm in suburbia. And so like uh, actually acquiring AAA means like I, <laughs> um, you should have AAA. I have AAA. But, it's a but, but anyway, like, it's so if my, if my ass gets a flat tire while I'm being a douchebag and like holding on to <laughs> these like but arbitrary distinctions, um, I don't know how to fucking change a flat tire. I haven't had a car in like God knows how long I've been in cities, but I would do what everybody else who is like me and doesn't have AAA. And I would whip out my phone and I would pull up a YouTube video and I would watch a, you know, four or five minute, how to change a tryer, maybe wash it twice, bring it outside with me, play it, change tire while I'm stopping, pausing, stopping, pausing, change the tire, get the physical experience of having changed tire. Now I'm going to retain those skills and move on micro learning. I don't see, and, and even bringing it back to sales, frontline manager, skill development, frontline manager, PL financial skills, right? It's very hard to teach your team about like the mechanics of ROI and business cases and unit economics when you yourself do not understand the mechanics of your own department. And again, the difference between revenue and profit. And I also, again, I get it with the comp plans. We're only being measured on like revenue. So who gives a shit about everything else? However, it's hard to teach something that we don't know. And so, back to patients and back to skill development in order to see these changes and these shifts take place in our workplaces. We're going to have to expedite the pace of growth and of learning and including like coaching skills, right? Not just coaching individuals, but coaching teams of people at that manager level. And I still, I haven't seen a lot of progress there yet. Right. Right. And so I mean, I'm with you on the moment in time. I'm with you about the shifts. And I, but I think that unless more people start talking about like the true addressing of, again, one of those root cause problems, which is a skill development thing at the manager level, then mm, that's the thing, number one. And then the second one, too, is the lack of diversity. Right. I don't even like using the diversity because it's really just sameness. But, and I don't, so this applies to race. This applies to gender. This applies to socioeconomic status. This applies to able bodyism, sexual orientation, right? There is so very little diversity of thought, experience, and or anything other than mostly white men, no offense, white men, just throwing out some numbers, that it's like impeding our ability to be human and to challenge our sameness and like, you know, the, the status quo. And this is also something that is not moving very quickly. Right. So there, that was even for an Amy and Keith talk that there was a lot there. I want to try to not change it, but 
throw it, pull a thread through it all. So leadership. I love that you brought that up. Uh, just to provide scope for everybody. One of the things that I noticed and it was very, very uh, common in the HR tech world in the, let's call it 2011, 2010 era was how people were leaving companies on average three to five years. And everybody knew that. It depended really on the industry and the area. But since then, it's actually sped up. There's no real loyalty. Human employees globally are recognizing maybe not a micro learning, but a micro macro learning experience working within different companies. In other words, if I want to. Oh, yeah, like a rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And they're not afraid because they gather a skill. Bless you. That they could take to another company. And like I said earlier, every company out there is looking for skills they, they need. So they will hire people like that when they find it. And so the natural outcome of that momentum is that there are no leadership development programs because no one ever stays around long enough to lead. And I'm telling you, I know this about the warehousing industry. I know this about distribution, supply chain, manufacturing, uh, services, uh, software, it's it's I mean this is I'm sorry to interrupt Keith but this is like a chicken or the egg thing first of all you can if there were okay I'm sorry please continue well no no well I'm saying it's all it's all there but the, so then how do you get leaders in organizations that weren't even thinking about developing them and here it goes back to the <laughs> you change your hiring process what well, your how system about this? how's this for an idea how about the listener the person the employee says why the fuck do I need the company? I could go on YouTube. I could go develop myself. And this is, is the underlying theme of a, of a lot of it. And it's the idea that the system that we're talking about, the one that's in place today, that's slow to react, that doesn't get it, and is unwilling to admit it because if they admit it, Amy, they have to change the way they're going to make money. Don't forget, there are a lot of banks out there that have reports from private equity groups that are projecting revenue growths that no longer exist because they projected it before COVID. So now everyone's, it's kind of like, that's the ultimate backlash. And now it's going to push back. The banks and the investors say, well, no, we want the money. And if you're not going to give us the money, somebody else will. And in my humble opinion, that is the big systematic shift. So much is going on right now, and I feel fortunate that I get to, I have a perspective that I'm not sure most people have because of the diverse group of people that I talk to, which brings me to that next point that you said. If we're going to stir the pot in, in a positive way, we're going to get all the colors together, we're going to get all the races, we're going to get all the people together, we have to find the common denominator. And what's the common denominator amongst everybody who works inside of a work environment? They're stressed. They're not sure if they're happy. Their, ment their mental stress levels are through the roof. Um, they're disengaged. They're, un they're unproductive. So what the smart play is, is for organization. One of my catchphrases, and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to do it now, is that the health of any organization is inherently tied to the organisms working within it. There's no getting around it. So the companies that are literally transforming themselves are not just looking at technology, they're looking at personal transformation and everyone can relate to it. 
You know, I'll, something we talk about with integral performance is the idea of a default reality. If you go to most, if you put a bunch of sales leaders into a room and ask them, what do you think a default future reality, right? What's your default future if things go the way they are right now? What kind of response would you get? You'd probably get a lot of negativity, right? People start to naturally think. And what people out there, everyone, this applies to everyone. It doesn't matter what race you are, age you are, education you have. If, you're, if somebody says to you, what's your default future look like right now? And you close your eyes and you find yourself in a bad place. Well, that means that you are literally programming yourself every day with every habit to go to a bad place. And to transform and recognize that you don't want to be there. Do you, you think that many, do you, so sorry to interrupt. Do you think that, so I'm thinking of um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And in particular, I want to say it was talking with strangers, but I could be, it could be a different one of his books. But the idea that we, we overestimate, we're more optimistic about our own futures. And so like, I, I'm, I'm curious how many people that you've experienced answer that question in a, like in a raw and real way. It's so much so where they would describe it a reality where, uh, you know, the end of the path or the, whatever kind of, you know, yellow yeah. brick road that they're following on is actually not right. positive. Right. And so um, the honest ones, generally speaking, when, then keep in mind, we're talking, um, so you went to personal. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about like organizational. Okay. Most people, uh, and there's really good video. Maybe what I'll do is I'll, it's a, te uh, a snippet. I think of a Ted talk. Yeah. Send um, it to I'll me. We'll it put it in the show notes. Yep. yep um, about default future. And ultimately what that means is like that you, you sit back and you're like, okay, so if things go the way they are, well, we're going to have sales rep turnover. We're going to have to bring in technology, which means our spend is going to go up. We're going to work it. We're going to work and we're probably going to get stressed out and aggravated. And it's going to be that much work to try to figure out how to get there if we get there at all. Right. I don't think that that's the absolute environment inside most sales organizations, but I think it's enough that it's, it's, it counts to one of the fundamental foundational challenges that's out there. So with that, you get people to sit back and, and, and all it takes is just one reality check. You can control the future. You just have to learn differently. You have to, you have to be adoptable, ready? Like we talked about this last year, right? The reality is, is for companies to survive in big changed environments, mm -hmm. they have to be adoptable. The way to be adoptive, adaptable is to be creative. Oh, I was, I was going to, I was going to bust your chops on that. Like, can you adopt me, company? Yeah, no, no, this is, this is. You can say whatever damn thing right, you right, want, right. like whatever. <laughs> Send the adoption papers over. We can talk. <laughs> so, 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 the, the, my whole point is, if you want to be adaptable, if you want to be fluid, if you want to be creative, you have to figure out a way to change the way things are done. Because right now it's a very reactive, very uh, hard, challenging way to do it. So I kinda, yeah. I, there's your tangent for the conversation. No, I, no, I don't think that was a tangent. I do want to like, so in our last 10 minutes, and so we started five minutes late, so, you know, do the math. But um, when I want to bring it back to sellers and how sellers can use all of this brilliance that you just dropped on us during their deals. Right. And their conversations with their prospects, which I think if you're selling to a company, 
these companies are experiencing these similar types of, of challenges. So, so we're coming back to that. But I I think that the um I think that we it's not just our corporations or companies that have dropped the ball. It's our education system too. And in this, and where I'm going with this, just so you know, it's that we have to teach people how to learn again. And I think that, um, you know, when it comes to like hiring or hiring circles, like the trait that we hear often is curiosity. Is someone curious? Mm -hmm. And then it's like being willing to work and go find that information. Like we live in the fucking information age. Like if you're, if you have not done a basic Google search for what it is that you're looking to do, like, you know, like next, but that said, we, I think have done ourselves a tremendous disservice by, well, one, I think we're a very visual society and we want to be entertained and we want the stories and the narratives. And so um, also the short attention spans, right? That those are all factors. However, most people, when you ask them about education, right? Or what their definition of education, it's going to skew towards like some version of school, right? Which is something that happens to you and ends at a certain period of time. And so there, this is a thing that we're going to have to, as, yeah. as leaders to, and, or like coaches work yeah. on with our teams is help them to reconnect with how to learn something. And I think that um, the, the one that I love the most when I talk about this topic is the learning quadrant, right? There are four, there are four phases, unconscious incompetence, right? Ignorance is fucking bliss. You don't even know what you don't know. And sadly, this is where I think most of our sales bosses are living, right? I differentiate between sales boss and sales leaders, right? So big difference, but um, so unconscious incompetence, and it's a blissful place to be, right? right Number right. two, conscious incompetence and this is it's a brutal place to be because you're living and breathing and operating in something like you whatever you get the idea of fourth or third is conscious competence and then unconscious competence and so figuring out ways i don't want to say hack phase two um, that's a, a big piece of it, or at the very least, talk about the emotions or the feelings that are going to come to the surface right. when you're trying something new for the first time, right? Which is for most of us, um, it's been a while, right? It's been a while. And I'm speaking to myself when I say this, even with the podcasting, it's been a long time Keith, since I've been on a fucking learning curve like this one. And I do, I've done keynotes and, you know, speaking, this is, this is, this is just, and you know, cause yeah. you, you had a yeah. show, which I, yeah. I didn't even yeah. know until this moment. Okay. So, the, but that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that um, it's that box checking. It's we've been pigeonholing people into a certain career trajectory based on whatever they started with. Right. So it's very difficult if you're in sales to move to even to sales enablement or customer success to product or product to, you know, I I don't know, HR, like whatever. And so that lack of flexibility or we call them dynamic systems in process design world, right? Having a system that allows for iteration Um, But this is, I think, one of the reasons why we see people leaving organizations. And so if I'm an organization and I'm looking to create systems, new systems, designing new systems that serve the human fucking beings on my team or the ones that I hope to attract, giving way and breathing room to allow for people to um, alter 
their path as they learn and they grow and they tap into new passions is, is going to be a massive part of the solution. Um, and something that we, I, I think, see very, very, very little of today. And, and the reason why I believe, and the data is out there, the statistics are there, um, and you could get it from a medical, you could get it from organizational, you get it from financial sources. It all points to the same thing. The reason why there's so many, there's so much hesitation is the idea that people don't know what they're doing. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to get to help. Whose idea is that? Who thinks that? Who thinks that? The person or the company? It's a stress reaction. The reason why I'm not asking for help is because I don't want you to, I'm I'm nervous about what's going to happen. Well, that's ego. Okay. But at the same time, people don't think it's their ego. The reason why they're not aware of it. It's bringing us back to mindset. <laughs> is because they, right. But, but I'm going to, but let's take it into, here's why I love it when somebody who's older than me, I'm generation X. When somebody who's older than me talks shit on the generation younger than me, I love it. And this is where I channel my inner Gary V. The, 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 the generation Xers and the Zs or, or whoever else is younger than 45. Millennial friend. Thank you, millennials. They are ass kickers. They are name takers. They look at a flat tire and you're like, oh, boop. Just like the matrix. They look at something, they learn, they go on. They are constantly getting information and trying to figure out how to apply it. They have what is lacking in the older generations, the habit of continuous learning. Now, whether or not they realize they could apply that habit in every capacity comes back to to mindset, right? So it's there, it's working, it's start, and it will gather momentum faster than, than I think people are going to give credit to. So I'm going to like, I'm going to end this on with this. So I don't, I don't like broad brush anything. Um, I think that human beings are far too complex, like to put a whole generation into a certain quick category. And I think that there are hard workers and continuous learners and curious human beings, like let's say the top 10% in every generation, just like there are, you know, entitled douchebags and or lazy and or whatever in the, I'm sure the Gen Z that it is coming up. And so, you know, I, I think that we're going to see that, that play out. But what I love about this profession is that we reward those that are willing to work for it when we let them in the door, which is why the Aspire ships out there are doing the Lord's work, in my opinion. All right, Keith, how can our listeners, the experienced tech seller, take this fire of a conversation and translate that into some excellent discovery conversation or questions or um, whatever, just banter to have with prospects about the changing nature of companies. I mean, for me, and it's because I sell sales enablement software, but when I was, if I was selling HR tech or finance tech, when I have a conversation, you want to talk about building rapport? Hey, I got hey. news for you. Sales enablement is about empowering humans. Right. And that's, and that's exactly it. Right. Yeah. So when, when, when you, when that, my answer goes to, Hey, Amy, thanks for putting some time on the counter. Talk to me about product you might not know or a problem you might have. Um, by the way, the, the post COVID experience in the sales world is absolutely crazy. How are things coming along in the buyer's world? I can only imagine 
that things have changed for you. You know, what, how would you describe today versus yesterday in that, or last year? And now they're talking, you know, you're, you're learning about what's going on in their world. If there's, there are two camps in sales enablement right now. The first one is sales efficiencies. How can we make our team better, faster, stronger? The other is buyer enablement. And you want to talk about instilling the habit of learning? If you love what you sell and you think you could solve a problem in a market that you care about, then find out what's going on in that market. Learn everything. Become a buyer of what you sell. Yes. I love it. All right, listeners, there are, here's a way that I like to think about it. There are three types of problems out there. There are technology problems. There are process problems. And there are human problems problems. And most of us are very well versed at speaking to the technology problems and even in some ways the process problems. Um, The human problems are very new to everyone, especially at the business level. And the challenge though, and I think what one of the other, one of the symptoms or one of the issues of the root causes that Keith and I have been speaking about is that we've been trying to purchase technology to solve human problems. And technology will not solve human problems. Human beings solve human problems. And so when we're able to talk um, and have conversations with our prospects about the team, right? Whatever industry we're selling into, whatever department we're selling into, when we ask about the skills on the team, when we ask about the, the human beings on the team and the career trajectories and how that relates to the processes and or the technology, Right. And then to Keith's point about what's shifting, um, I think that this is a pretty fucking banging way to differentiate yourself and to demonstrate that you are able to, you know, one, be aware of the trends, but also be in front of them so much so that you're able to guide and support the buyers as they, too, venture into the unknown Um on all three fronts, again, that those technology problems, the process problems, and again, right. the, the people problems. All right, Keith, you ready for the, I'll give you a final sentence, um, final word on that, but, or unless you just want to pass no, the time. No, back. I think you nailed it. A beautiful way of place putting it. Excellent. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to thank you for that or I'll thank you. I'll throw you the, the 20 bucks later for that one. Um, okay. So final two questions. The last one is a piece of advice, right? What's one piece of advice um, that you would give to our listeners about uncomfortable conversations, which we're going to come back to, but the, the, the real one, the meat one is what is the hardest, most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in a revenue context? And this could be with prospects, hiring managers, bosses, you know, um, you know, teammates, to, you know, employees, peers, whatever, children, right? There's ripple effects for not letting mental health into the conversation. Wait, wait, wait hold on. We're talking about, can you ask me that again? <laughs> yeah. What is the, so forget the children thing. Okay. But right, what's right, the right, hardest right. conversation that you've ever, most uncomfortable conversation you've ever had to have? having to do with revenue. So again, in any context, any kind of go to market, anything. Um, okay. Hardest conversation I ever had about revenue has to be, gee, I don't know if I have hard conversations. I mean, they're pretty productive. Um, the one that kept you up at night and it could have been from when you were younger. Well, then I'll just put on my, you know, you know 
mistakes. I'm a sales, I'm a sales guy. I, I know we, we learn. I know we I can't learn. stand it when somebody tells me, no, I'm not going to do business with you. Uh, and it happens all the time. I mean, I'm growing a company here, right? Like I'm not going to close everybody and I can't stand it when I don't get the deal that I feel we should get. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the challenge I have is to remember that it's about patience and that I'm not going to close every deal. Right. But it, it's, listen, I'm a loudmouth Italian sales guy. I own it. When somebody who was otherwise not transparent or, you know, just a challenge prospect, I, it, it boils me up. So that's, I guess there, I, I, when I don't grow revenue, that's the challenging conversation. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think you're the first person that said that, that it's hard to hear the no. Um, yeah. Maybe I mean, it's not enough. <laughs> I, yeah, well, but it's also like, what do we do with those no's? Like, and I think I'm thinking after action reviews, right? Very few, I, it's not very common um, to have a, a process in place where a team or like a manager is, and or the team like breaks down the deal. Mm-hmm. And like what what happened, especially if it was forecasted. And so I think that, that that's a big piece of it. So if you want to get less knows friends and listeners, right, start to think about um, how to dissect the decisions and or the steps that were taken throughout the process so that you can improve that win rate. But you raised an excellent point, Keith. That's a, a bang in a bang in answer that again, no one has said. Okay, one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. Embrace them. Figure out what makes you feel uncomfortable about being in the conversation. Allow yourself some space to feel around that. One of the fundamental things that I think really helps me these days is not having to have an answer. Everybody's really, America is fixated on having the right answer. It's about having the right question. Spend time with the question. Don't worry about what the right answer is going to be. Just think about it and, and understand that most of the, absolutely most of the time, if not every time, something that seems uncomfortable can be quite comfortable. You can make it comfortable. And you can certainly learn how to become more comfortable by doing more of that. <laughs> doing more of them. That's why I love this profession. Um, because you don't make it for very long unless you, you figure out how to do that, you know? Yeah, step into, step into the unknown. Listen, I mean, I, this is funny for me to say the last two minutes of the show here, but fear nothing. I mean, it, it's incredible. Every, you know, I had on the podcast, and I'll be quick, there was a guy named um, Dave Sanderson. Dave was one of the people that was on Captain Sully's plane that landed in the Hudson River in 2009. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also happened to be Tony Robbins' chief of security for 10 years at the time that happened. And Dave was on the show and he gives a great story about it. But ultimately what Dave always says is everyone has their own personal plane crash. You don't have to burn up with the plane. You could survive. So don't fear what you have except that you could step into it and do something and make yourself feel better about it. So don't fear anything. And then you won't have any uncomfortable conversations. So true. Do you remember that? Did you ever read the book, feel the fear and do it anyway? It was like an oldie, but goodie. No, it's like back in the day, 
And it's funny that this came up on a, the episode that we recorded yesterday, this, that all, all choices, all decisions are made from a place of love or fear. And right. so when you reject the fear and do it anyway, yep. then you're able to tap into love, which um, I think is beautiful. All you need is love. I think I've heard that before. It's so funny. I think maybe I'll pull in that song. How what a fitting way to end this, Keith. Um, okay, so listener friends, the ROI shop is pretty fucking banging. It is a fantastic way to support and to help your team um, to pre- to one have value conversations with prospects, but also to streamline the um, ROI aspect of the deal back into like the sales collateral and, and what have you. And so Keith, did I, did I miss anything or I didn't look at the website for the modern messaging, but anything about the ROI shop that you want to wrap with? Thank you. So listen, everyone's been trained on feature and functionality. No one's been taught teaching any sales reps how to speak with finance in their minds and speak about the business impact. The software that we create with clients helps them do that at scale. So they close more deals, they lose less deals, and they they don't discount like they used to. Yeah, so it's kind of a win-win all around. <laughs> okay, Stephen Covey. Um, all right, how can listeners find you, Keith? Oh, I'm on LinkedIn all the time, Keith Compagna. There's KeithCompagna.com, and um, you could also check me out on Integral Performance um, .io or .org or just reach out to me on LinkedIn or keithcompagna at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, Keith. Well, thank you for making time for us. That That's awesome. And, and it means the world to me. And I know that you brought some pretty fire value here today for, for everyone. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, truth, truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you as well for listening and happy selling. So that was Keith Campagna on the future of work. To summarize, friends, our education system and workplaces were designed during the Industrial Revolution. They taught people how to work, and that's what we've been doing for about 100 years. Companies that are nailing true transformation do not just focus on the digital transformation, they're focusing on the individual transformation too, probably more so. And if you want to pull ahead of the crowd, teach people how to think. And I think this is equally relevant for, for buyers as well. So how can you take action? I think in two separate ways. The first is while selling, right? In discovery. And I think the start of that conversation sounds like, you know, something like this. Hey, I heard a podcast recently that talked about organizations that are thriving and they're thriving because they're hyper-focusing on the individual's transformation. Have you noticed any changes here? Or what are you personally focused on on developing skill-wise? The second place that you can focus is on your career, right? Does Are you at a company right now that has chopped up their sales training budget and handed them out as stipends to you, the individual, so that you can choose where you want to focus what you're learning and, and how to invest that money? 
Um, If not, you know, that's something to be aware of. But more importantly, you are in complete control of the development of your own skills and waiting for someone else to do it for you or to change around you is, is probably an inferior strategy to just do it yourself. So get intentional with what you want to learn and how you want to learn. And if podcasting, as one example, is is something that you've you've pegged that as an opportunity for 2022, uh, come play with us in the Salescast community. And that wraps another installment of the Revenue Real Hotline. Thank you for hanging out today with us. It means the world. If you found any value in things discussed, definitely check out the new website at revenuereal.com. Your visit alone gives me data I can use to help scale the show, and I'd consider the visit a a personal kindness. And of course, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. Truth, love, and joy, friends. Happy selling. Happy selling.